Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Busey. And welcome Welcome to to the the Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. Today we're talking with Lauren Lompre, the artist and owner behind the creative company The Doodling Nomad, a brand that offers prints and unique travel-centric stickers. So thanks for talking with us today, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, so first off, can you give us some info on your background and just tell us your story? I'm born and raised in Las Vegas and kind of always been an artist. Um, Got my first art kit like when I was six years old. Art was just always a thing. And yeah, just so I played violin as a teenager and that was kind of my art expression. And I was always into lettering, calligraphy, all that stuff. And that's kind of how I started really diving more into like the art aspect of my creativity. Yeah, about five years ago, I went to Alaska um, kind of on a whim just to get away and try something different and drove up. And that's just kind of when my creativity just like pow. When you were isolated or on when a- I was isolated <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. Were either of your parents um, artistic or did you have somebody that encouraged you or? My mom was always very artistic. Um, like she put me in sewing lessons when I was like four or five years old. She would take me out of school to drive me to Boulder City to go to sewing lessons. Um, so she always encouraged creativity. And yeah, my, my dad was creative in his own way, but not really in an art way. So what made you pick Alaska out of all places? Randomness. Really? I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like between jobs and all my work experience was in the legal field. And I was did not want to become a lawyer. That did not interest me at all. I saw how many hours they worked and I just didn't feel like it was awesome. And so I had quit that job, became a nanny. And then my nanny family moved away after just a few months. And so <laughs> I was left like, well, crud, what do I do? And I had a friend, uh, he got a job in Denali National Park. And Alaska was not on my radar. I was never someone that was like, I want to go to Alaska. Like, never on my radar. Me neither. Yeah. (laughs) It was never on my radar. I thought it was too cold. Everyone lived in igloos. I was ignorant about, I totally like just knew nothing about Alaska. And it just kind of seemed like the perfect uh, change. And so I applied to this job, middle of nowhere, again, my city self had no idea what middle of nowhere really meant <laughs> until I got there. I show up in like yoga pants and flip flops after driving six hours through like the tundra of Alaska with a random dude that just picked me up in Fairbanks, <laughs> drops me off at this like podunk gas station. I couldn't even describe. I roll up just like, whoa, fish out of water. No cell reception, no internet, like it was super remote. And we primarily dealt with locals there. But yeah, I, I, I showed up. I was one of two females that worked there out of 10 men. There was 10 men, two females, and then just like all workmen that came there. What was the job? I was like a server slash hostess for like this. It was like a cafe rest stop. We sold gas. We had lodging, but lodging was like these like double wide trailers all st- stacked by each other. And uh, (laughs) uh, the restaurant was, you know, salmon everything, everything, salmon soup, salmon burrito, salmon taco, salmon salad, everything. I don't eat salmon anymore. 
don't do sand But yeah, it was just kind of like, I'm someone that kind of likes drastic changes. I think that a drastic change can be good for you. So I just kind of went with it. I figured I was young. What was there to lose? And I showed up in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. (laughs) Is that when you started living in a trailer? The trailer thing was only very recently. Mm -hmm. That's kind of when the trailer idea started, though, because I was living uh, pretty nomadically just from going from Alaska down to Vegas, or I would spend my winter somewhere else. Like I spent a winter in Joshua Tree and then went back up to Alaska. So that nomadic kind of lifestyle is what then was like, I want a trailer (laughs) because I'm sick of living with 20 other people in a tiny like living quarters. I'd rather have my own tiny living quarters. But the trailer thing was like very short lived because I think it was I so I got this little 13 foot trailer and then realized it was way too small to run a business out of. And plus it had no bathroom, no sink, anything. I also realized I have no building skills and I have no desire to build. And so <laughs> it's not on the list. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, so the trailer was short lived, but it was Hopefully something in the future again, um, in a different way, kind of now that I've learned a little bit more about it. Um, but just that nomadic thing was what I, the goal. Yeah, the freedom yeah. to just pick up and go. That's awesome. I fantasized about living in a tiny house so many times. Yeah. But with two little kids and a husband, I don't know how realistic that is right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it'd be fun for vacationing. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Like now I live with my boyfriend and his two teenage daughters. And so we were all not fitting in either a 13 foot trailer or (laughs) Or a 30 foot or a 30 foot. Like we were not fitting in a trailer. We were not doing that. No desire. So (laughs) that's awesome. So by the time you got your camper trailer, you had already started your business. Yeah. Okay. So you go up to Alaska. That's when this creativity just starts booming. Mm -hmm. How did you transition or what made you transition from just a hobby artist to like, oh, I can make a living out of this? It pretty much was almost right off the bat. I mean, I like it. <laughs> so my my very first summer when I was in isolation, <laughs> um, <laughs> I really was just like learning to like be creative and like, how can I express this in a way that's not calligraphy? Because I did see that the calligraphy market was heavily saturated and I just didn't see how I was going to make a living or money doing that. Um, It just kind of seemed like there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And so I was trying to figure out another way to do my art, to make money. And that came into play the second summer in Alaska. I was in South Central Alaska on an island. And yeah, I just kind of did a design. It said, go outside and play. And I turned it into a sticker kind of just, oh, there's no cool stickers here. I want a cool sticker. And so I got a hundred of them and yeah. And then it was a business from there. I just went selling it to all the kayak guides, all my coworkers. Um, I was selling it at the bars in town. I literally carried around like a pack of stickers with me. And when I'd go to bars, I'd just like open up my (laughs) like pack of stickers, like here's my goods and uh, sell stickers at the bar. Like the old CD cases, yeah. right? Where you can just <laughs> like the stickers. Yeah, and, and so like at the bars on awesome. my weekends, I would just sell stickers. And then that just 
it was nonstop from there. So then from there I grew with obviously more designs and things like that. That's really cool. So how long have you been doing <coughs> Doodling Nomad now? I have been doing it f- since August of 2016. Okay. So that's when you were in Alaska around that time, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. And so I started as a different name though. Okay. So I only recently changed the name to Doodling Nomad back last summer. I was under Wild and Free Papery at first. So I was still trying to figure out what it was I was doing. So papery was this kind of cool word that meant nothing. And (laughs) I like it. And then as I was pretty much doing just stickers, then it was Wild and Free Sticker Co. And then I felt like that was too long of a name and just entrepreneur life, I guess. I wanted to change my name a thousand times. So, but that nomadic. Yeah. I just can't stay on one name for too long. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so now it's the doodling nomad. I'm happy with my name. It's wonderful. I think it, it, it's catchy. It it, it kind of encapsulates all that my stickers are about. Cause even though I'm not so nomadic anymore, it's kind of, that's kind of what my stickers, I think kind of capture is Mm -hmm. being different, unique, outdoorsy, whatever it may be. I kind of have a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Community conscious. She just makes some of my favorite stickers like the shop local one. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. You've got such a free spirit, so it comes across nicely. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I like well, it. thank you, because sometimes my brain feels scattered, so I'm glad there is a concise... Uh, you know, it's a mind of an artist, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm having to make like a thousand lists a day just to remember like basic tasks, or else I'll just get distracted and go on a tangent elsewhere. And it's like, 10 a.m., go to bank. 10.30, drive home from bank. <laughs> like... Time blocking. <laughs> I love it. I, that's the only way I got to college. Is yeah. I would literally like color chunks of time. So uh, how do you find inspiration for your designs? Pretty much life. I, you know, a lot of outdoors, but then also just life in general, my own personal experiences, you know, the sticker, the create a beautiful life like that has a personal meaning to me. And, you know, so that's kind of something I feel like I could share with others of creating a beautiful life. Um, Yeah, it's pretty much just my own life. (laughs) I just kind of find inspiration in little things that I do and put that into my art. Well, you just have an experience where you just see it perfectly. Like, do you see these instantly and then kind of create it from that thought? Or do you have like a basic idea and then kind of build upon that? It depends. Um, For the most part, though, like I see the clear vision of the design and then it just kind of, you know, maybe there's like little things I change as I get doing it. Yeah. Uh, But for the most part, like the shop local one, I saw a bag with fruits and veggies hanging out of it word shop local on it like I just do a quick sketch usually to get my ideas down and then from there go in and design it what process do you use to actually create your stickers uh so I use an app on my iPad Pro it's called Procreate and I don't really touch any Adobe because I think it's complicated (laughs) uh but for Procreate it's really great because I can just it's just drawing there are no tips and tricks and like ups- I mean there's but I mean there's not things that do things for you oh right. it's just like drawing okay so you pick a pen and you draw and that's it it's a simple thing you erase you can add layers which is really nice which a lot of my like more detailed stickers have tons of layers um and so it has those benefits like a program like Adobe would have which is like the layers the editability stuff like that but it's so simple 
It's just drawing. It's, you know, anyone could pick up Procreate and draw something. Um, It's so simple. There is no learning curve aside from like maybe like a few minutes of learning where things are at. But it's such like a seamless drawing experience. Uh, So much so I've actually gone from using my iPad to a piece of paper and I want to erase and the erase tool on Procreate's like in the corner and I'll like tap the corner of my paper. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is paper. Yeah. So I just like love how simple it is because yeah, Adobe programs from the moment I looked at them, it was like the most complicated process. I thought, mm-hmm. got to like do this and this and upside down backwards just to go like to move yeah. something. Like I can't figure out the basic functions of Adobe. Yeah. It's so difficult where I've built an entire business on Procreate. Yeah. So, so most graphic designers would use Adobe. You're seeing a lot more people use Procreate now because they're like, realize how easy it is. I've never even heard of it. I'm going to have to check it out. It is so easy and it's so fun. And you could like buy different brushes for it that give texture, that do calligraphy, that all kinds of stuff. And so I'll use some other little like graphic design apps in like with that because like sometimes I need a perfect circle. I cannot draw a perfect circle, unfortunately. I I can come pretty close, but I can't draw a perfect circle. So I'll use like another graphic app to get a circle or sometimes fonts. Like it's not always hand lettered. It's fonts I'll use. Um, And so a different app I'll use to manipulate the font to be like in a curved shape, not a straight line, stuff like that. But for the most part, everything I do can be done on Procreate alone. You can use it for so many different things too. Like just even if you're someone that like needs to do a quick lettering or calligraphy or you you can just quickly do those things and then you have a file and it's done. And it's, and with Procreate, you can export it to be a Photoshop file. Oh, cool. So you could bring it over to Photoshop. You could bring it over to Photoshop to do like some of the finishing touch stuff. I don't do any of that. I love it. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting the equipment to print it all yourself? Or is that just like so expensive? It's like $50,000 for the machine. Holy cow. That's crazy. But it's just not feasible for me to print my own stickers. I've looked into the machines. Yeah, they're massive. I mean, I do love just the design, but I also have a very like specific way I like things to be and look. Yeah. Because it's a whole package, you know, so often on my Etsy, I've since closed my Etsy store. But when I had Etsy, you know, it was the reviews were always like, it's the total package. Like I'm getting this like cute little paper bag that they're coming in. Yeah, And your cards are cute. It is everything. Everything about your brand is cute and it goes together and it's just so well done. Like that was one of the things that I was really impressed with when you first came to the market because I do pride myself on, you know, like, you you know, us, we've been in retail. That's yeah. probably where you get it. Is yeah. You understand what goes into a retail thing. Totally. So a lot of my experience with the farmer's market is coaching these businesses to get next level. So when like they're beginning, they're at home, they're figuring it out, they're testing brands or testing logos. They don't know how to do, you know, they can't make their own logos. <laughs> yeah. I can't make my own yeah. logo. I'm not saying anything. It's hard. But when somebody comes out that understands those little pieces and it's already all together, it is impactful and it's, and uh, it's awesome to see. So it's, I mean, cause this is, when you look at brands and you see a well-developed brand, yeah. you're like, okay, they can make it. They're going to be awesome. They're going to get their own following. I don't have to like do you a know, lot. do a lot, and as long as I know she's here and she's happy and she's making a living, like I'm cool. Yeah, yeah, and but I mean, it's taken 
three years to get to this level, right? Like I would say at this point, I am finally like comfortable with everything in my business. Everything has its process. Everything looks a certain way. I'm not changing anything anytime soon. Even my booth, I'm not changing how it looks anytime soon. It's going to look the same. But in the early years, everything was constantly changing because I like was trying to figure out a look and the craft paper bag was always a thing. That was the one thing that's always been a thing because I liked that it was paper yeah. recyclable, but it, and then it just fits the aesthetic. It fits my vibe. It's, it's a lot of little things, but yeah, it's taken me, you know, a few years to get to now where I can just show up to a market, pop up my table and then like I'm gone before anyone even knows it's done. Yeah. Right. You know, you are, you're out of there fast. Like I, and I love that. Because I see, like, by the end of a market, not really at the farmer's market, it's like the perfect time. Three hours is, like, so perfect. But I've done markets that are an eight-hour day. And it's just, okay, it's an eight-hour day, boo-hoo. But it's exhausting to talk to so many people in, in a day. And that's also a part of then why I dwindled down from ever doing anything else. When I was doing prints, I had to take a whole extra bin. When I was doing pins, it was like a whole extra thing. And my stickers, my entire inventory can fit in a backpack and I can hop on a plane and fly anywhere and still be running my business. I ran it back and forth from Alaska to Vegas. I would take all my stickers with me to Alaska, bring them all back. Why are they doodling nomad? Yeah. That's it. That's it. (laughs) So would you ever go back to living in a trailer full time? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's it's funny too, because then a big reason why I didn't do the trailer thing was I realized the extreme cost of towing a trailer and how expensive it is. And so that's kind of was part of, there was a thousand reasons that ended up being why I pulled back from the trailer idea. But um, that was one of the big reasons of, I need to grow my business a little more. I need to, you know, kind of hone in this idea of trailer. I can be a bit uh, impulsive. And I think it was like, I saw this perfect trailer and I bought it. And I then like, once I was living in it, realized almost like the magnitude of what I still had to work on and grow and fix and stuff like that. So um, definitely down the road, I would love to be doing the trailer life. Right now I'm um, planning out a platform build for my truck, at least. So that will get me around to markets that I do out of town. But yeah, and that's at least a little, it's not as overwhelming as a trailer of having to tow it and things like that, but I still get a bed, cover, you know, and that's pretty much, I'm fine with sleeping in a vehicle. <laughs> I, I car camped my way down from uh, from Alaska to Las Vegas two summers ago. Yeah. I just drove the way alone, car camped the whole way down, and uh, it was great. I had a bedroom, I had a garage, I had a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> It was, and, and I was just driving a little uh, Subaru Forester at the time, but uh, I didn't get eaten by a bear, so it worked. Yeah, that's my biggest fear. It's the like, wildlife. I hate, no, bears. I hate it. Yeah, once when I was in northern, northern Alaska, I was on a hike and we like took a canoe to this secluded spot, hiking, whatever. We see a sign made out of a paper plate that said, Bear in area with three cubs. You know, watch oh, out. Oh, wow. So we beeline it out of there the whole way i'm like terrified like looking at like the bush whatever like trying to like a cub's just gonna run across and mama bear's just gonna attack me and so we get back to camp and we had one uh work computer that was connected to the internet and uh i thought i'm gonna look up a bear attack that's gonna make me not afraid of bears wrong (laughs) wrong i was so wrong yeah they're terrifying (laughs) i became 
exponentially more terrified. Yeah. But I mean, like, I just have it's I don't know. It's just respect for like the situation, animals and stuff around you. Water, respect the water. It can kill you. Like, yeah. you know, it's always for me, there's times where it's fun. But when you're with people that aren't aware and aren't respectful of nature, I was like, you're going to get killed. You're going to like something's going to happen. I'm not going. Well, and that's something we deal with here with heat. Yeah. You know, if you don't respect the heat that it can kill you, you'll find yourself in a bad situation. You know, very quickly. 20 minutes. Yeah. I I got lost at a hot spring hike in um, the Arizona-Nevada border once. Mm -hmm. And because some guy at the pool the night before was like, take this way. It's a shortcut. But it was the middle of a hot wave in Vegas. It was like beginning of May. And so we start hiking and we realize we're lost. It's 105 degrees. We ran out of water. Literally Boy Scout saved us. Like we got lucky that a Boy Scout group was taking canoes that day and they were in the harbor or not, not the harbor, but it was like a, just a little cove, I guess you could call it. Yes. We like finally found our way back to just the hot spring, which was then another two hours out. And we get back to the hot spring. One of the girls with a little bit of energy runs to the boy Scouts. They run to us, like carry all our packs. They fed us. They gave us water. Wow. They let us sleep at their camp for the night. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then the next morning gave us food and water so we could then hike back out. Go Boy Scouts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's they're like awesome. taking pictures. They came prepared. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> they, well, that's they why probably, they have the slogan. Yeah, they yeah. probably got a badge for it. They did. And they took a picture of us. And the, the scout leader was like, you're the weakest link. She called me out as the weakest link. <laughs> I left the leader was <laughs> the woman. Like, she was a woman. So it's the young Boy Scouts. Because yeah. at a certain age, they get, the, they get guys. Oh, really? But until like 13, it's always the moms that are the yes. leaders. Oh, wow. I didn't know so, that. He was like 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I was some 13-year-old's badge. Yeah, these 13-year-olds okay. could come around this corner, and I was just like, yes, please carry my back. Well, you're probably in their stories now oh, for I like know. the rest of their life. I'm like, like when I was 13, I saved this lady on a hike. and <laughs> Yeah, you have probably inspired an entire generation of Nevada Rangers. <laughs> well, actually, that was going to ask, what's been your favorite adventure? you've been on because you seem like you've done a lot of traveling so is there like a favorite place you've been or adventure you've had probably my favorite was when i worked on fox island in in alaska uh that's when i was in south central alaska i worked there for three summers and that was probably my favorite just spot in general because i got to see whales all the time i got to see humpback whales i got to be like a few feet away from orcas they made me cry (laughs) It was like the most intense experience. Yeah, probably just that being able to experience Alaska in general has just been kind of one of my favorite life experiences. Um, I got to see some really cool stuff there that I never would see here in the desert. Just really unique interactions with wildlife. It's not like at a zoo, you know. And it's big wildlife. Mm-hmm. Like everything up there is massive. Yeah. The whales, freaking bugs. The mosquitoes. The mosquitoes about, like, are, the, are huge. Almost the size yeah. of my palm. My first summer is when I just got eaten alive by mosquitoes. Like I had 
bites under my nails, between my fingers. What's the climate like? Is it humid? Is that why there's so many mosquitoes? In northern Alaska, it was because we were on the river. So we were on the Yukon River, which is, I'm assuming, what brought all the mosquitoes to that area. It wasn't really humid because then in south central Alaska on the island, it was humid. I mean, we got three weeks of rain a month, you know, like it it rained a lot, but there were never mosquitoes because... It never got hot enough. In South Central Alaska, the weather always stayed kind of below 60, usually 55 and under, and cold and rainy. In Northern Alaska, we got up to 100. Wow. Really? Wow. That almost seems like it would be the opposite. Opposite. Yeah. Yep. But it, you, we got to 100 degrees in northern where I was. But in the winters up there, they would get to negative 80. So they just had this insane temperature swing. But wow. then they didn't have AC or anything up there. It was so remote. So when it's 100 and no AC, not even my desert self was like prepared for that. Like it was bad. But it, but then it only lasts a week because summer only lasts like three weeks there. And wow. then it's winter. <laughs> Well, and do you feel like people in Alaska, I mean, they have, I mean, they're probably the closest to nature that you can really get. Are they environmentally minded? There's kind of like a 50-50 of that. Like, you'd be surprised at how many people aren't really environmentally conscious up there. When I was in northern Alaska, we burned our trash because you have to. There is no other landfill or anything. There's no landfill. When you're five hours into the bush or tundra, whatever it is, there's not going to be like a dump that comes get your stuff trash pickup yeah Yeah. so like there's no recycling there's no trash pickup you just burn everything where in when i was in south central alaska the the island i worked on we were very like environmentally conscious uh we had solar panels Mm -hmm. that ran a pretty good amount of our equipment for running a huge operation on an island it was surprising and then we also had our own water system so our own water tanks uh, it was um, spring-fed water and then we had our own septic up there we had we would recycle our unused meats to give to um the dog kennels. We did a lot of things there too, but but we were more civilized there. Like it was an island, but it was only a 40 minute boat ride from town versus, and it was easy because we had like a boat that transported our goods. So it was easy to transport things back and forth. The people that live just so in the middle of nowhere, there there is no recycling. There is no, you know, may, maybe they're more environmentally conscious just because of the fact there's not really... They're not consuming as much, so they're not consuming a lot of those plastic-wrapped things. They're killing their own animals. and Well, everyone used to burn their trash until, I want to say, the 60s or 50s. Like, everybody did. They had to ban it in California because it was getting so bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like... It, it's almost nice that there's not really landfills there because yeah. you're not They're probably more mindful it, of yeah, how much it's waste not they create. Obstructing the your views and the stinkiness or it's probably just more shocking when you come back to the mainland. You're yeah. like, holy moly, yeah. there's a lot of trash. I mean, because really, you just don't see trash up there like you do. Well, and if you keep trash, doesn't that attract animals up there yeah. too? So it's yeah. like a survival thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I guess you would be, have to burn it then. Yeah, because you have to be very careful of how you dispose of trash that especially has food in it like the cities like 
Anchorage has huge like bear problem. Like bears just like get into their trash and do all kinds see, of crazy. And, and, and then a fed bear, like um, in Canada, I kind of learned this phrase, a fed bear is a dead bear. So if a bear starts getting into your food, they're, they're going to have to kill the bear because the bear is going to then become more comfortable with humans. It's going to start to get aggressive. It's going to... It's not scared. It yeah, knows it, there's food in there. Exactly. And so they have to oh. then kill the bear. So it's like this whole different like ecosystem almost you have to be aware of when you're up there because wow. I wonder if because there are predators that will yeah. like come. We're not the top of the food yeah. chain. Yeah. I wonder if that means people don't compost up there. I wonder if there, there are would. some people that do. I wonder if you'd have to do like indoor like worm composting because yeah. then it wouldn't even. Yeah. It, you wouldn't take it outside at all. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to be more aware of pretty much everything yeah. when you're there. Everything that you consume and do because you have to figure out a way to get rid of it. So so that was a big thing for us on the island was the environmentally conscious aspect of it and trying to make sure we weren't wasting as much food and producing as much waste because every bag of trash has to it, it has so many steps until it gets to a landfill. Right. Where here in St. George, you know, you put your trash on the street, it goes to a landfill. There you're hauling it 3,000 times because you have to transfer it from the trash bin to the trash boat, from the trash boat into town, from into town. They take it. It's like it passes like so many hands yeah. just to get to a trash. They charge you for that, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's expensive. Yeah. It just seems like in Alaska, you have to pay attention to everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you forget to put something on a boat. Now that boat has to make another trip. Another 45-minute round trip, you know? So that, everything just... Did you ever think about any of that stuff before you moved up there? Like, was that any of, like, the environmental thinking about waste and all that stuff? Was that ever in your mind before then? Or was that kind of like a shock when you got there? No, I was definitely, like, already on, like, the hydro flask, like, reusable train, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> like, like well, even if you're not in a reusable, hydro is the way to go. Yeah. The hydro yeah. flask, they'll change your life. <laughs> <laughs> I've got stickers to put on them. Yeah. No, but so... <laughs> they... Yeah, so I was already kind of, like, part of that world a little bit. Um, but, yeah, being up there, you then see... It's such on a magnified scale. Yeah. And then also you see climate change on a very like, whoa, intense scale. Like my first summer in South Central Alaska, seeing the glaciers versus my last summer, the glaciers look totally different. Really? Like they've melted that much wow. in two years, you know, or people would show me pictures from a decade ago and it was like, whoa. And what do people think is like people up there? Do they talk about it a lot? Is that more something that's just in their everyday conversation? Like they're driving by the glaciers every day. Like it looks smaller. Well, like, you know, down here you'd run into people that would be like, that's not a thing that's made up. Yeah. But like up there, are there people that are like, no, that's not a thing. Or are they like, yeah, we're screwed. No, most people pay attention to it up there. I would say like, as far as like, especially with glaciers, things like that, they really, it's the wildfires, all the wildfires that happen here that are like big news that's like a pin drop to alaska you know because they're having hundreds of thousands of acres burn but it's because it's not populated right but it's not that's populated the so, so the difference here is you know you have ten thousand acres burned but it's crossing a lot of houses here versus up there you're having hundreds of thousands of acres burn and they never once reaches a dwelling wow. <laughs> and so they don't have to do anything about it 
but it still can be devastating to the wildlife aspect um, right. as far as, you know, because that's a lot of wildlife that, wildlife that's displaced. Which puts more pressure on everything, all the other systems that you guys have in yeah. place to try and negate the issues with wildlife. Yeah. That was a cool tangent. When you start a sticker design, how long does it usually take you? Like from con- like inception of idea to finish? Like holding the sticker in your hand. Um, about a week and a half. Mm. So the design itself will take a day. I usually spend no more than one day on a design. Um, I don't have the attention for it. And that's that. <laughs> and finished is better than perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of, I, I'm more so focused on finishing a design. And um, yeah, so I'll spend like a day on the design process. Um, and then... I send it to my sticker printer, and I get them within a week and a, w- a week and a half. That's awesome. Where so, do you get them printed? Uh, I go through a company out of Southern California. Oh, okay. It's called Vinyl Disorder. I bounce between them and a Sticker Mule. Both are really good, but same quality matte vinyl. That's awesome. Yeah, those are heavy-duty stickers. I know. I love these yeah. stickers. Yeah. I remember getting the email from Lauren, and she's like, hey, I make stickers. Can I come to the farmer's market? And I'm like, sure. And I was blown away when she had, like, she was setting up, and I kept walking by, and I was like, these are the best stickers I've ever seen, because they're nice, they're heavy, they're yeah. vivid. Like, the designs, it's they're just so unique. You know, they're playful, and they're young, and they're fun, and it's just stuff that you don't see walking into any, like, you know, souvenir shops. Like, that's the easiest souvenir to get, and you can't find great, unique stickers sometimes. And so I was just like, I bought them for everybody. If you could start all over, what's one thing that you wish you would have known before starting Doodling Nomad? I wish I would have known more of the business side of things. I'm really bad at that. I hate it. I, like, just don't like it. I'm actually in school right now for marketing, and in that, I'm learning some of the business side of things, but... Yeah, maybe like doing like knowing that from the beginning would have been nice. Are you able to do this full time or do you have to do like other stuff on the side too? I do this full time. That's awesome. Yeah, I just started working at Afogato West part time. Oh, cool. Just to get out of the house. Yeah. Um and they sell my stickers there too, so it's really fun. So Afogato West, if you're just listening, is also where we hold the West Village Farmers Market on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of every month, four to seven. And when we're not there, it's a really bomb coffee shop, and like it has a bunch of little cool artists and shops inside of it. So Lauren works at Turtle Cove Trading Company, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is a artisan and high end vintage shop. It's really cool. And if you go to Afogato West, you can bring your reusable cups and they'll fill them up for you. Um, What motivates you and inspires you? Just especially with art. What motivates you with art? Because, you know, um, as an artist, do you ever suffer from from creation block? Oh, all the time. Oh, you do? All the time. You would never guess that because I think you're one of the most prolific creators we have at the market. Really? Yeah, like every time she comes and you set up your thing, I'm like, you have a new sticker. This is new. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, of course. But like, I mean, you're creating a whole new design yeah. in a matter of weeks. Yeah, I come out with three to five new de- new designs a month. Yeah. That's kind of my goal every month. And so I'll filter out some older ones or keep them and then bring new ones in and kind of trying to always keep a cycle of stickers so it keeps people interested. So when you feel like you hit a block, what do you do to get out of it? (laughs) So, but sometimes it's like uh, super concentrated. So, and I mean that by 
I'll be in a creative flow and crank out five designs. I'll be in a creative flow and crank out two, crank out three. And then I'm like in a creative dead zone for a week. Usually it's just when I'm in those kind of dead zones, I just look on Pinterest. I kind of look at other things I like. I'll, you know, think about some other kind of creative outlet. Like right now, like last week I was in kind of a rut and then I got into designing my truck platform. And so I'll like dive into something that's, yeah, that's like a, you know, there's A, B, C, D that I have to fill out and do because it gets my brain like turned on and in like a cycle. I guess you could say. So you don't put like a pressure on yourself. Like, no. oh, I have to create a design today. I'm going to sit down and just do it. Like nope. you let it come to you and then it just, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I don't do anything that I'm tell myself to do. I, and so that's also why I wanted to be full-time with design um, because I kind of like a more natural flow process. Mm-hmm. I can't really sit down and force myself to do things. Um, it kind of lends me that ability to, when I'm feeling inspired for a design, I can crank it out. But then that's the beauty of my process because I do everything on my iPad. I can take my iPad everywhere. And so sometimes I'll get a design and I can do that quick little sketch on there. So even if I'm not inspired later, I could go back to that sketch and it's enough of a uh, outline of what I need to do. It's that ABCD that I can just dive into that and get it done. So it, I kind of just am always writing down ideas. I'm always sketching out a quick little idea and they look like blobs. If anyone looked at them, it'd look like a blob. But to me, it makes sense. It's like, okay, yeah, the sun's going to be there. The tree's going to be there. It's going to say this. It's going to go like that. That's cool. It makes them feel authentic. You know, it's like nothing in them is forced. It's all authentic, free flowing. So like with my stickers, it's just like such an easy process. Mm -hmm. My turnaround is a week and a half from design to when it's in my hands. I have a really low like a cost to get a sticker. I can get my lowest quantities of 25 to test out stickers. And that's only like 20 bucks, 25 bucks for 25. And so that's a low cost way for me to try out a design and say, okay, does this work? Okay. And if not, it's $25. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep over it. But whereas with prints or I tried pins once, Mm -hmm. I have to spend like $300 to get a hundred. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, I'm not committing to a hundred of these and spending yeah. $300 just to get one. My stickers are such a quick turnaround. It's really hard to branch off from that. And I've tried a few different ways because I thought people wanted other things. And so I would like try to do what other people wanted that I thought, nope, don't care. Stickers work. They're yeah. great. They work for me and my like, it, it's just, I can make a design and it doesn't really impact my decision making because I can say, eh, it's not a great design. Oh, I'll try it though. Maybe someone will like it and it will work. I've had a few designs become popular that that way where I'm like, I hate that design. Like, I don't like it. I hate how it looks, but I get it printed to kind of see, because that's also something I'll do if I'm in a rut. If I'm like kind of not feeling a flow, I'll go back to like old designs. I'm just bringing this up for people that are listening that maybe haven't been to the market or from far away. Like when you come, you set up, you have this cute, like you have probably 40 to 50 stickers, right? Yeah, I've got around, I'm like 50 to 60. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the part when I look at your stuff, I'm like, this is overwhelming because they're always so, they're every single one of them is good. And I'm just like, wow, like, 
you know, this is, she's just prolific and she's always making. And I think of some of the artists I know that take so much time and, and that's their style. And yeah. like, you know, they're different types, but I was translating it to you and how prolific you are. I'm just like, I don't understand how she does that. But now you're, you're telling me that it's pretty quick. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I guess, but part of the quickness could be just the skills I've learned yeah. to make it so it's quick. It's taking you five years to get here. Yeah. 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 You know, like I've learned tricks and tips and things along the way to make it be this quick. Yeah. Have you heard the story of this guy runs into Picasso at a bar and asks him to draw him a picture on the napkin and Picasso just busts this picture out in like five minutes and gives it to the guy. He's like, that'll be $10,000 or something like $5,000. Yeah. And the guy goes, it took you five minutes. And he goes, yeah, but it's taken me an entire lifetime to get that to good Picasso. Yeah. Like he, it was like, it might take me five minutes, but it's taken me my whole life to get here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, don't agree with half the things you did in your life, but that's a good quote. Yeah. That's a good quote. I, yeah. I actually think of that quote often yeah. because it's just like, it's true to like the artist's struggle, I guess you could yeah. say, because it's a real thing that no one ever really wants to pay the right price for an artist. And so, you know, someone spends 200 hours doing this beautiful painting and then they price it at, okay, two grand. That's yeah. making 10 bucks an hour. And someone's like, oh, no. But it's like, I spent 200 hours painting that. Like I'm, and I'm going to make like almost minimum wage, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and painting is like very exhausting work. That's also why I try not to do it for too long. My back starts to hurt because I like paint in the horrible position and I'm like hunched over. And well, I think about, I mean, it takes what, like 10,000 hours before you're an expert mm -hmm. on something. Oh, right. Yeah. So I think about that, like, that's a lot of time. Yeah. People need to be compensated. I mean, they might be able to do something like you said in five minutes, but it took them 10,000 hours to become an expert at that one thing. It's just really interesting that that applies that concept that lack of understanding applies to art and food everything else we get it like i will pay seven hundred dollars an hour for the best lawyer if i'm going into this case like because they have the experience and stuff but it's really hard to get people to understand to pay for food like the people that are doing it right and putting in the hours and growing the most amazing food and art. It seems like those two things people feel entitled to. Yeah, because they feel like it's almost like it's easy yeah. or it, you know, oh, common knowledge or yeah. something. I think that might be like a shift in how we think about consuming, too, because yeah. like back in the 60s, you would spend 10 percent of your income on clothing a year. That's a lot. We spend like 3.5 percent now. And then on food, it was 20 percent. And now it's 9 percent. Like, think about oh. how much you could have allocated to healthy local food if you put 20 percent of your income towards it. That's a lot of money. And 10 percent towards clothing or 10 percent towards household goods and art. Like people used to do that. Yeah, but they they were also like, this is my investment. This is what I'm keeping. Like my grandma right. still has the same wedding set that she got when she was married. Right. It's not that throwaway yeah. culture where you just yeah. get something new. Like yeah. people bought things that lasted. An average person would have like 30 items in their closet, mm -hmm. shoes, purses, yeah. dresses, everything was like 30 items. So you would want high quality stuff to last. Yeah. 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 yeah where now it's the fast fashion, it's fast food, fast right. food. Everything, everything is on this like accelerated pace. Right. And so that also, I think, makes it then even harder 
for art. You know, like I did like an eight foot chalkboard once and and the person wanted to pay me like 50 bucks. And I was like, this took me 12 hours to do. And I think it also speaks to um, this indentured servitude Mm -hmm. that everybody on some level is accepting and nobody's questioning. Like you can get these shirts because children are making them. Yeah. You can get these clothes because a family is enslaved in a factory making these things. So when you're here and you're buying local, like free people are making your clothes and making this stuff. You are paying a living wage. And if you have a problem with that, then I think that's as a society, we need to look at that and address that. Yeah. Well, I think it's out of sight, out of mind. People don't know. Like people don't even think that's a thing. But I think it's another thing, like people used to make their own clothes. They used to grow their own food. They knew the work that went into it. I just don't think people have that appreciation because they don't have to do anything Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our lives are so easy. Yeah. Like so ridiculously easy. We've become detached from like our consuming. Yeah. Right. You know, or the work. Yeah. Yeah. The chain the work of command. Yeah. Like, and that's also, you know, that's, it's a big issue in the agricultural world too, because there are so many undocumented workers that are willing to work in the field. And that's the only way they can keep the cost of the food down. Right. About 75% yeah. of agricultural workers are undocumented and their average age is 55. Yeah. Wow. So if that tells you how much of an impact that has on their health. Yeah. So it's when, a lot. What's something that you failed at along the way and uh, what did you learn from it? Because it actually doesn't sound like you've failed at a lot. <laughs> I failed so, plenty. Sounds like it's been a pretty consistent upward rise for you. <laughs> I, I would say my the other side ventures of doing pins or doing prints, like those are kind of failures and those took a hit on money I could have spent for more sticker inventory, but instead spent it on trying to please other people. Yeah, I was going to ask, did like, you do those things because other people were like, you totally, should do totally. this? So, totally. Your biggest, and then no one ever buys them. Yeah. So everyone is saying, you should do this and you should do this, and then I do it, and then no one buys it. So your biggest failure is listening to other people. Yeah. Ugh. 100%. Isn't that always how it goes? Yeah. And just, you know, and accepting that I've got a good thing with stickers. Yeah. You know, I used to, I still sometimes get intimidated when I go to like, um, bigger markets and they've got these big setups. They've got so many different products, you know, they've got all this stuff and I show up, plop my table. My setup is so simple, like so insanely simple. And it's just stickers. And so sometimes I get intimidated, like, oh, man, this this market's going to be a bust. Like, oh, and I like get all in my head and I'm like, oh, it's going to suck. And then, you know, it, the, the market opens and it's just I'm killing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like people love stickers. And so and so my biggest failure would be to that I had to in a roundabout way, learn to trust my own intuition and my own needs for my business and stop listening to everyone else. Do you think that would be your advice to young up and coming artists too? Or would you have, if I was a beginning artist, what would you say? To trust your gut, do what you want to do. Don't do what anyone else tells you what you want to do. Because yeah, that's where my biggest mistakes were, was listening to what someone else told me I needed to do. I've had people tell me I needed to do certain markets. I had a bad feeling about it. Did And I did that market. It was a bad market. It wasn't my vibe, but all the markets I've wanted to do that I've thought about and really like looked into. It's like, 
this perfect and it always works out. What would you say has been your biggest success and what did you learn from it? I guess you kind of answer that with just sticking with stickers, but is there anything else? Yeah, I guess my successes have just been compounding. <laughs> I don't want to sound like full of myself. No, this is but, your podcast. But just, but just kind of like as like I've had an, a success, it's built to another success and another success. At first, my biggest success would I would have told you that it was that I sold a sticker. And now it's that I've sold thousands and thousands of stickers all over the world. I have stickers all over. I did a custom design for Girl Scouts of San Diego. Oh, that's cool. awesome. Like, well, and also I think people like to come back for the high quality items. Because I think, would you say like the quality of these stickers? Because I think we talked about it before we hit record. Yeah, give it the sh- give us the spiel. <laughs> yeah. So they're all high quality vinyl stickers, indoor, outdoor use. Um, they have a matte finish on them. So I've actually found that the matte finish helps to keep them from deteriorating. I've, I think the glossy yeah. finish, that glossy film oh, starts yeah. to peel off. I would have never put that together, and but so that is what it is. When they're matte like this, they really just stay. And, um, you know, like the sun isn't like glaring on them and burning them as much. So these are like, yeah, sun fade resistant. They won't fade. Dishwasher safe. Indoor, outdoor use. Cars. Water bottles, kayaks, wow. helmets, ice chests, snowboards. Like they can take a beating. They were like Alaska tested, right? Like they were like Alaska proof. They've outlasted snow, rain for constant days on end. So you've been all over. You've, you're a nomad. Um, so in your opinion, what makes Utah so special? Um, I've The one thing I've always loved about Utah is that you could drive for eight hours and encounter like... 10 different sceneries. So I grew up coming to Utah lots and I just always loved that like change in scenery that's just like so fast and like all of a sudden you're in the forest and then you're all of a sudden you're around these like tall red mountains or you're in the desert. It just changes so fast. And so there's just such a vast scenery here. It kind of covers all your bases in one state. (laughs) So what's been your favorite part about being in the farmer's market community? Oh, it's been super fun for me to like, just get into like St. George community, you know, like living here and just, it was way different than what I thought Utah was. Like, I, I just didn't expect to like meet so many cool people in Utah. It was actually just really easy. You know, I started doing the the farmer's market and just like instantly, like everyone was so welcoming and nice. And it's like spawned already like so many opportunities just since December. I love it. That's what I love about the farmer's market. Community. Community. It's not who we serve. It's what we build. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So do you have a favorite book, publication or social media account that you find inspirational or profound? Basically, I tried like I tried to follow as far as social media accounts go accounts that are like positive. So anything that's like positivity, you know, because I think people can say that social media is so bad and it's horrible, but it's all about the accounts you follow. And I like only follow uplifting accounts. If ever I follow an account and like they make me feel a negative feeling, I unfollow them. If there's something about the account, whether it's me comparing myself to someone, like I'll unfollow artists for that. Nothing personal, but it's, I find myself comparing myself to your art too much and I need to focus on my own art. So I actually don't follow really any artists because I don't like to compare myself to other artists. I'd rather, because it's so easy to fall into a hole of comparing yourself to artists. I just can sometimes fall victim of the compare game. A book I read that was really like life-changing for me was Jill Bolte-Taylor's 
book. Um, drawing a blank on the name, but she is a brain scientist who had a stroke in the left side of her brain, and she was able to recall the whole stroke as it was happening. And then I like recalled in detail of like the numbers starting to disappear and like look like squiggly lines and trying to match squiggly lines to a squiggly line on a business card so she can call someone to say she needed help. But because of her knowledge as a brain scientist, she was able to like really dissect a stroke in a really interesting way. And she was young. She was in her 30s. And she had, because her um, left side of her brain had the stroke, her right brain became like lit up in use. And she talks about like being expansive and when she was in a coma, how she could look in her down at her body, I think a coma, but she would like look down at her body and it used to be, um, how can my body be in this expansive of the universe? And then she realized she was the expanse of the universe trying to fit into a body. Mm-hmm. And like just that switch of like your right brain is like so open and free. And that left brain is what like, but it's, but the left brain is important. Ego is important. She did a Ted talk and then she has a book and it was just like one book that I've read multiple times. I've watched her Ted talk multiple times. Um, I think she's a genius and it's really cool how she describes the difference between right brain and left brain and how before she was this boring brain scientist, her life was black and white. And then since having her stroke, she says she has purple walls in her house. Everything's colorful. And she's relearned that scientist skill and language and can now bring this like new open concept to science it's fascinating yeah i'll include i'll find that i'll find the book and the ted talk and i can link those in the show notes if people are curious yeah Yeah. she's amazing i I will say quickly that i i once like just i describe art as everything like so people can like say i'm not creative or i wish i was creative like you but it's like an accountant is creative um farmers creative everyone's creative in a different way and art is expressed in a million different ways art is just self-expression so however you self-express yourself in this world that is your art yeah and so black and white people they're creative they're artistic just as much as colorful people so why should people buy local food and support local farmers and makers because we're the little guys. Each sticker I sell is it's going to my life. Right. Like it's buying me groceries. It's putting gas in my truck. It's funding my own dream. Right. Whereas when you buy from like big box stores, you're you're just making someone who's a billionaire all just like more of a billionaire, yeah. you know, whereas for me it's like and it's all in like my own world. Right. And it's from the support of other people. And so when you shop local, shop small, that's who you're supporting. And that's all we need in life is is little people to all be supported. Okay, so if listeners want to learn more about all you're doing, how can they find you and where can they find your stickers? So you can find me uh, on Instagram at The Doodling Nomad and just online, uh, www.thedoodlingnomad.com. And then you're at the farmer's market every month, right? The farmer's market. And oh, and and then I have a Patreon which is where my sticker subscription club is. And so I announce the stickers for the month around this time. Like I just got them in today. So I'll be announcing that in the next few days. Um, 
and like the exclusive sticker and what it all is. And that's uh, just real quickly a setup into like two sections. I have a $3 a month and that gets you just the exclusive sticker for the sticker club. And then I have an $8 a month and that gets you the three new stickers plus the exclusive. Yeah. So you're getting four stickers for eight, which my deal at markets is three for 10. So it's a better deal. Plus you're getting the exclusive. And so that's on my Patreon and you can find it at patreon.com slash the doodling nomad. And then are you going to be at the, the farmer's markets in the summer too? You go to every week. Right. Is that what you're planning on doing? Yeah. Because this yeah. will be your first one, right? Yeah. Okay. So this will be my first summer doing them here. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah. It was fun you. getting to know your story. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Fun. Yeah. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at Mofaco Utah. You can find show notes for today's episode by going to our website, mofacoutah.com. Go under Meet the Mofas, click on Podcast, and then click on Episodes. And you will find each episode there with all the show notes. And they list everything that was talked about and give links as well. So be sure to check that out. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope hope to to see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local Jake Shepard.